Well, again, good morning and Merry Christmas. So glad that you are, are here with us today. It's hard to believe that Christmas is, is here. Um, and honestly, you know, three days before Christmas, snow on the ground, singing those songs, um, even I get a little bit Christmassy. Um, and so I'm glad, I'm glad that you're here, glad that we get to celebrate together as we look at this uh, incredible place of, of Scripture together. Why don't we, why don't we pray together? Uh, and then we'll look at First John. God, I'm so thankful for your love and your goodness. God, I thank you that you have brought us here to this place uh, this morning, and we anticipate that we will encounter you. God, I pray that that would be true for each of us through your spirit, that we would meet you here, that we would hear you through your word, that we would um, sense you through uh, the praise and worship that we gather together for, um, and in our community, God, that we would, we would know that you are among us. God, I thank you too for the snow and just for the way, it's just a tangible reminder of what you have said is true of our hearts in Jesus, that you take what is black and filthy um, and you wash us white as snow. I just think about the kind of of beauty, the kind of purity, the uh, the kind of joy that that image um, brings up. And so, God, we thank you. And so, Lord Jesus, we come now to your word. We anticipate that you will speak and ask you to do so in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, it's, it's that time of year. You can't, you can't uh, deny it. You can't hide from it. You know, some of us have been trying to, like, push off and not think about Christmas at all. Um, but, you know, it's here, right? And, and one of the things, certainly, that I, I love this time of year, and many, many of you know I, I love movies, I love stories, I love all of that. But, I mean, there's such an overabundance of Christmas movies, aren't there? I mean, every, every time you turn the television on, everywhere you look, it's all Christmas movies. So, so what's your favorite? It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, mine too. That's my favorite. Yep, yep. What else? White Christmas. White Christmas. It's my wife's favorite. Yeah. What else? Home Alone. Home Alone. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Elf. Elf. Okay. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yes, of course. Nobody's going to say Christmas Vacation. It's like half of your favorites, but nobody wants to admit it in church. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's probably on the list for some of you. I'm, I'm Kind of sad nobody said Die Hard. That's often on the list for people, right? Die Hard is considered a favorite Christmas movie of all time. Um, now, now, think about this. That these movies and all the other hosts, right? These are just like the best ones. Um, there are countless numbers of them. Uh, other than the fact that they're, they're set during the Christmas season, what do these movies all have in common? I mean, maybe, you know, except for the obvious exception of Die Hard. What, what holds them all together? I mean, they're all about love, aren't they? I mean, at, at its very core, they, they are somehow about love. It's a Wonderful Life. It's about one man's love for his community. And I mean, even Elf, right? It's about a, a human raised as an elf on a quest to find love from his biological father. And even Christmas Vacation, right? As awkward and toxic as it is, that family environment, it's about one man's really lousy attempts, one father, uh, his attempts to show love for his family, right? It's, it's about love. And, and so many of these movies, right, they're sometimes just plain cheesy, uh, sometimes over-the-top sentimental, maybe even downright nauseating. And yet, I mean, generally speaking, we kind of love them, don't we? I mean, even, even a Grinch like me can be sucked into these things. You know, what is it about Christmas and these kinds of movies? I mean, so many gushy lovey-dovey, warm-hearted, tear-jerker, whatever you want to call them. Why are there so many this time of year? 
I think it's pretty simple, honestly. I think it's because nothing goes to better, better together than Christmas and love, right? Nothing goes better together than those two things. And now some of you, you maybe you're thinking, okay, three days before Christmas, really a sermon on love? Can we be any more cliched? We're almost as cheesy as one of those movies, right? But, but wait a second, okay, let, let, hold off there. Um, what is love anyway? I mean, really, how, how would you define it? What words come to your mind when you think about love? And only easy words to spell. I misspelled everything last service. It was really embarrassing. Sorry? Commitment. That was the hard one. I had to look at my wife to know that one. But I think I got it this time. Commitment. Okay, what else? Selflessness. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't spell, you can't count, we're even, so... What else? Sacrifice? One more. Pursuit. Interesting. Uh, that's with a U, right? I mean, two U's? Okay, good enough. You know what I mean. Um, I mean, we could, we could keep writing, right? All these different things, these words or images that, that come to mind when we, when we think about what, what love really is. Um, and so often, we think about love, you know, conjures up images of family and friends, right? You think about even the events of this week, maybe you picture the person that you love opening the, the perfect gift, right? And you just, you sense that. Or, or maybe some of us, you know, we think about romance or passion or, or sex, or maybe it's just like those warm feelings that we get, and we, we love those feelings. Maybe on the other side, maybe some of you think of, you know, what you, your hopes or disappointments when you think about love. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you think about what you'd like to get out of love, or maybe love just, I mean, it just feels kind of out of reach, right? And yet, no matter what you, what you think of, and even from these words that we, we see here, we know that love is about more, right? I mean, you don't, you don't have to be a Christian to, to know that love is about something more, something mysterious, something that runs deep in the soul of every human. But why Christmas? I've got a theory. I'm sure you're surprised by that. I think John has a theory as well. In the words that we heard just a moment ago, why, why do love and Christmas go so well together? I think it's because Christmas redefines love. Christmas redefines love. Movies don't give us our definition of love. Not, not even marriage or watching your, your child being born, uh, not, not our friends or our hopes or our disappointments. Christmas tells us what love is. You see, Christmas means, I think, three things from this text. There's a lot that we could say, certainly. It means that love is self-giving. Love is within reach for every one of us. And love is bigger than we can even imagine, bigger than us, bigger than we can think. And it's, it's all right here. It's quite a lot to learn from a baby born in a manger. But John helps us here. 
And we're in 1 John chapter 4, uh, and as you think about this, this letter that John is writing, this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's the same John who was best friends with Jesus. It's the same John who took care of Mary after her son had been, been crucified. And so this John has an inside track on love. And he wants believers to know that, that love isn't, isn't part of the Christian life. It's not, it's not just sort of an option like whether or not you want bacon on that. It's not, a, it's not a side item. It's not even one of the many really lovable characteristics about Jesus. John wants us to know that love is at the very center. Available to every one of us. And to be given out freely by all who claim Jesus. Even in these few words that we heard read, were you listening when Patrick read those? Six verses, that's it. Six verses, and yet John uses the word agape. It's one of the Greek words for love. Some variation of it, 15 times in six verses. For Christmas redefines love. Well, let's talk through these these three pieces here. First, uh, Christmas means that love is self-giving. I mean, if, if nothing else, right? If nothing else... Love is self-giving, according to the way God defines it. And I say that, and there's not, a, there's not a person here, or on the planet for that matter, who would disagree with that. Of course, of course it's self-giving. We, we know that love is self-giving, and we've got the theory down really well, right? But the practice, I mean, truthfully, I don't. I don't hardly ever give myself away to anyone at all. I mean, just think about that. Why, why do half of all marriages end in divorce? It's because most of us wait to give love until we've re- received it, right? We wait for the other person before we give ourselves. And so we, we say subtly in the back of our minds, I will love you as long as I feel loved. Or even think about the, the relationship between parents and, and children. Why is there often so much strife? Because frankly, oftentimes we parents, we're, we're, we're guilty of, of subtly communicating that, that our love or our expression of love is somehow tied to your performance, whether or not you're good enough. And we think, we don't say this, none of us would actually say this, but deep down, we say to our kids, I'll love you as long as you make me feel like a good parent. Don't we? Or even just think about, you know, your extended family later this week. Right? Many of us will be in situations, to say the least, and love, good luck. Or what about just even, even generally, more, more broadly, what about the people from whom you will get nothing in return? I mean, sure, we all know that love is self-giving. The trouble is, we're just kind of lousy at it, aren't we? We'll go back to verses 7 and 8 in a moment here, but I want to start with, with 9 and 10. Because I think 9 and 10 for John is, is one of the clearest definitions of what love is in all of Scripture. Listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest, or was revealed, was demonstrated, was shown among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then he really, he just kind of repeats it. He says, in this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here is love. 
So, so what does it mean that love is self-giving? And I think we see it in three ways in this passage here. And in, in, in Jesus, three, three, three things. First of all, love pursues. That's part of this self-giving idea. You see that right away, right? This is how we know what love is. God sent his only son into the world that we might live. And the very fact that God himself came chasing after rebellious people. I mean, not after people who would love him, right? After people like us who would crucify him, and yet still he comes. This baby born in a barn 2,000 years ago, right? In poverty, this unlikely child, the son of God, a helpless child, asleep under the stars that he made. Think about that. And yet he came for you. Not just them, not just us, but you, giving up everything. I mean, even to the point of giving up his own life for you. I mean, when's the last time you've pursued someone from whom you would get nothing in return? Or served somebody or, or loved somebody in such a way, knowing even in the moment that you would receive zero benefit from it. That's Christmas. The second thing here with this self-giving love, real love, is that it always always goes first. Look, Look what he says. We read it already. Not that we love God, John says, but that he loved us. Real love, self-giving love, it always goes first. Of course, one of the things in my married life that somehow Kelly and I regularly seem to recreate, probably know what I'm talking about here, is that post-argument silence. You know know what I mean, right? Where where it's quiet, both both of you are in the wrong, Um, both of you are hurt, angry, and rightfully so. And both of us just wait quietly for the other person to go first, right? I mean, you've been there, right? Just sort of in that, that silence. Of, I, I don't want, I mean, I, I hate going first even more than I hate the awkward silence, right? And so we just, we just sort of sit there. But Jesus, who has never wronged anyone, goes first. He loved us before we even made a move, before we even thought about it. He loved us when we were still enemies, so much so that he gave his own life. That's, that's what love is. And not just apologizing to someone that you already care for. I mean, that's kind of the easy stuff. That should be basic, right? It's not. I know we, we mess up there as well, but these are the, I mean, that, that, with Kelly, that, she's, she's my wife. I love her. I would do anything for her. And so in some ways, it's sort of obvious, kind of a get over it moment. But what about, what about the people who just drive you crazy? People that you don't have to love in far, as far as your, your normal situation is. The people that you disagree with. The people from whom you will receive nothing in return. Or even at, at church, for example. I mean, you don't wait to reach out to community until someone has reached out to you. No, because the God that we serve goes first. He loves first. He pursues first. I mean, just imagine if God waited on us to go first. 
to clean up our act, you know, to become good enough, and then maybe we'll see about it. Maybe I'll, sh- I'll, I'll love you. We'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Real love is always self-giving, always goes first. And the third thing here with this self-giving love, and I think we sometimes overlook this one, but I think it, it's really important in the text um, that, that self-giving love um, takes sin seriously, uh, but seeks a way to forgive. I mean, I think that's the idea with this word propitiation, right? John says, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a pretty churchy word, right? Um, What does that even mean, propitiation? Well, essentially, propitiation is a sacrifice uh, that takes God's wrath, that bears his wrath, and turns it into favor. I mean, it's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It's what allows God to love us, to forgive us, to pursue us. It's what enables him him to to do so. And so so God doesn't just ignore our sins, you know, sweep them under the rug. I mean, can you imagine that, right? If if the God of the universe, he just sort of looked at murder and injustice or selfishness and pride or child abuse, rape, if he just looked at those things and sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, humans will be humans. That's not a God any of us would worship. For God to be God, he has to take sin seriously. And he does so much so that he himself came and he died on the cross for our sins. And you can't get more serious than that. He takes our sin very seriously. And yet he finds a way to forgive. To bring reconciliation. And think about that. God has found a way through Jesus to destroy the evil in our world without also destroying us. That's the greatest miracle, isn't it? Self-giving love takes sin seriously, but it always looks for a way to forgive. And I think we, we miss this in our definition of love. Uh, I mean, any, anymore, we, we think of love as, you know, you've got to accept me and everything about me, right? Everything I do, everything I am. If you love me, you're not going to care about any of this other stuff. And yet, that's, that's not how Jesus works. I mean, Jesus does accept us fully through his death and his resurrection, and yet he died to save us from ourselves. It's not loving to accept an alcoholic's reach for another drink. It's it's not loving to turn a blind eye to those unusual websites that keep showing up in your history. Sometimes love looks as tough as the wrath of God poured out on sin, and yet it always looks to forgive if you think about it, forgiveness, I mean, forgiveness is absolutely self-giving because forgiveness is always involves sort of, a, sort of a death almost, right, of your own pride, of your own part of, part of who you are. To, to forgive another person always costs us part of ourselves. But that's what Christmas means. And that's, that's how Christmas redefines love. It's entirely self-giving. But before we move on here, um, I mean, this one's been bugging me this week honestly, because I can, I can think about all the stuff that I am giving, right? And all, most of our Christmas trees probably piled to, to overflowing and uh, these over-the-top displays of affection that we do for one another, all the things that I'm excited to give to the people I love. And yet God's word confronts us. It confronts me. And I've, I've had to ask myself, Nathan, what are you really giving this year? What, what, what are you really giving 
There's nothing wrong with gifts and moderation. There's nothing wrong with having fun and celebrating together. Have at it. But am I giving myself? Because if I'm not, it's not love. It's just stuff. And the greatest gift that we can give to another person, the thing that that we all long for most, is intimacy with one another. It's what we long for. I had a kind of a sad thought this past Thanksgiving. Um, we, were, we were driving home. We had spent the day with family and all the chaos and, you know, exhaustion slash fun and all of that. And we, we were driving home and just couldn't help but notice that, you know, outside of several stores were really, really long, thick lines of, of people, right? Now stores are, are open on Thanksgiving evening. And no, no judgment there. Some of you were in those lines, okay? I hope you got a great deal, whatever it was. I mean, this isn't just some pointless tirade. I don't, I don't mean that at all. And yet I had this little observation in that moment that I just find it really interesting that here, here we are um, on one of the few days that for decades we've set aside as time to be with the people we love the most. And if you think about it in our culture, we have very few days left that, that we fight for together as, as time with people that we love. And yet rather than spending a little bit more time with the people we love, we go out and buy stuff for the people we love. I mean, we're, not, we're not bad at giving gifts, right? Stuff. We're frankly really, really good at it. Maybe a little too good at it. But I know me. I'm horrible at giving myself. It's the most precious thing that I have to offer. You know, I withhold it so, so easily from the people I love. And so maybe part of this is, is ask yourself, do I give presents? It's a little cheesy, I know, but you'll be, be with me here. Presents or presents? Um, cheat sheet. Presents. I mean, what if instead of piles of toys... We sat and actually played with our kids. That's what they want, right? That's what my kids want. They ask me 10,000 times every day, play with me, Daddy. Oh, I'm too busy. I got other things. What if we actually just carved out a little bit more time to be with the people that we love the most on a regular basis? Or maybe even a little bit harder, who can you give the gift of forgiveness to? Wrap it up neat under the tree, even if they don't deserve it, especially if they don't deserve it. Or who can you give the gift of saying, I'm sorry to? Even if that person is just as wrong as you were. Or maybe just even the gift of friendship to somebody who you really doubt you're going to get anything in return, but you know is lonely. Maybe just a kind word. A smile. A generous gift to, to somebody in need. Love isn't love unless it's self-giving. And we see it so clearly in the manger. But do you see it in your life? That's pretty radical, isn't it? What do you expect? Our God came as a baby. You don't get any more radical than that. And yet it seems out of reach, doesn't it? I mean, I think all of us here, we'd, we'd love to feel this kind of love. We'd love to even be able to give this kind of love freely. And yet it often just seems impossible. But Christmas means love is within reach. We can love now because we now know what love is. But we can also love because we've been loved. 
because we've experienced it. Look back at, at verse 7. This is where John began this argument. He said, beloved, and I love that he calls us that, beloved. That's, that's who we are. We are loved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. We can experience this love. I mean, John, John is saying that one of the definite characteristics of God himself is love. He is the very embodiment. Jesus is the very embodiment of this thing that we long for. I mean, just think about how much of your life is spent in pursuit of love, right? Of, of approval or of acceptance. How many, how many mistakes have I made on the quest to feel loved? Have you made? Think about all the songs and, and movies crying out over and over again for someone to love us. And here, here it is. John says that in Christ, we are God's beloved. I love what Henry Nouwen writes about this. He says, being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. The very core of who you are as a follower of Jesus is loved. You might remember a couple months ago, uh, we said that only God can tell you who you are. It's one of my favorite sermons of the year because uh, I needed to hear it so badly. That only God can tell you who you are. And who are you? If, if you know Jesus at the very core, the very root of who you are is loved. And if that's true, and this, this is John's whole point, If you are loved, you will be a loving person. And not just towards the people you like, people that's easy to love, but even later on this week at your family reunion, even even with people who sometimes drive you crazy, even people who would want to do nothing but destroy you, to love. One of the clearest indicators of a person who's met Jesus is love. And John is saying, if you're not a loving person, chances are you don't know who this God is. Not, not the one who, who came as a baby born in a manger. And the trouble is here, I think, I, for me and, and I think for, for all of us, is that we kind of assume that we're loving people for the most part. Or at least that we're loving enough, right? We could all do better, but you know, we all feel like we've at least hit the minimum. But ask yourself, how, how patient are you with your kids? How forgiving are you with your roommate or your spouse or with your parent, friend? How compassionate are you to the person who's made another dumb choice again? How do you feel when others are blessed and you're passed over? How how do you respond uh, to those who talk about you behind your back and whose back do you talk behind? And how do you speak about those who see the world very differently than you? How generous are you? There's plenty of questions we could ask. Or, or maybe, maybe another route to even look at this is, are you, are you in a spiritual community where you even have the opportunity to love one another? I mean, I think some of us in this room, we probably, we assume we're loving people, but that's because we don't have meaningful relationships with people enough to butt heads once in a while. I mean, we live our lives so isolated, we're so, you know, lost in our own little places that, well, of course I'm a loving person, but 
Well, who, right? You've got to be in meaningful relationships. That's why being in a community group is, is so important. It's, it's really easy to love people from a distance, but that's not self-giving, and it's, it's not really love. To be, in a, to be a loving person, you've got to be in community. And for John, though, it all, it all goes back to this fact that we have been loved. So ask yourself, not, not just what are you giving this year, but what have you received? What have you been given? Because this kind of love has been placed within reach for all of us. Have you accepted it? A, a gift cannot just be given. It also has to be received. So have you received God's love offered to you in Christ? If not, this is where love begins. Love for you and from you. You will never, if, you, if, you, if you've not given your life to Jesus, you will never experience the love that you're desperate for. I mean, you exist to be God's beloved. That's, that's why you're on planet Earth. That's why God made you to be his beloved. That's why he came. That's why Christmas happened. But how quickly I forget. I forget and I so easily revert back into being demanding and domineering, to be self-focused, right, or closed off to others, impatient and unforgiving, even to the people that I love the most, not to mention the people that I don't really like. And yet John, he couldn't, he couldn't make it any clearer, right, that loved people love people. It's just the way it works. Loved people love people. And John's words here, frankly, I mean, if you read them, they, they scare me. I hope they scare you a little bit too. You read them and it's like, well, really, John? If God has poured his love into your life, you will overflow into others. And if you are withholding love from anyone, John is saying, it's a good chance you haven't met him yet. Not the hero of this story. And so you better come to him. Christmas means love is self-giving. It means it's, it's within reach. It has placed it right in front of us. It also means that love is bigger than us. Because our definition, my definition, when I think about love, it tends to be pretty narrow focus, right, around my friends or family. It's fairly individualistic. It's kind of warm and gushy. It's, it's got those feelings. Those are bad things, right? Uh, but really, when we think about love, we don't imagine that there's that much at stake, do we? And we just think about kind of our own narrow little perspective and relationships and all of that. And yet John tells us that, that love is so much bigger. This kind of love is so much bigger than just us. Look, look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he kind of summarizes there. And then, then he says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one's ever seen God, he says. Now he's talking about God the Father there. I mean, if you look at John's other writings, John clearly believed that Jesus was God, right? And that he had seen Jesus, of, of course. I mean, that's, that's very clear in the other, other places he, he writes. But yet Jesus is also fully man, right? 
And so what John is saying here is that no one has ever seen God the Father in all of his radiant glory and splendor. Nobody has seen him fully in that way. And what what John is kind of saying is, and, you know, don't really hold your breath either. Okay, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, most likely, for, for any of us. He wants us to kind of, to, to realize that. And yet, when we love each other, this is what he's saying, God lives in us, abides in us. His love lives in us and is perfected in us. In other words, you can't see God. You want to see him, Right? I'd like to see him. It sure alleviate a whole lot of doubts, frustrations. We'd all like to get a glimpse, and yet John says, no, okay, you're not going to. You haven't. Not anytime soon. And yet, when you love another person, you get a glimpse. Just a little, a little tiny peek at, at who God is. It's like the, the song, right? To love another person is to see the face of God. You want to get a glimpse of God? Look for love. You want to show people around you what, who God is? Then, then love. I mean, I want so badly, right, to show my kids who God is. I want to. I want to show my neighbors. I, w- I want you all to see. I want to see him for myself. John says the very best thing that we can do is to love. To love. When you love the poor enough to feed them just like Jesus did, when you're patient with irritating people, when you put hurts behind you, even, even though you have every right to be angry. That's what Jesus did. That's what he does. Even when you offer a kind word or a smile, we get a glimpse. And God's love is perfected in us. I mean, that phrase there might be the most staggering of, of this whole passage. I'd, I've never seen this before. I've actually even preached on these verses before. I'd never really seen this. What, what John is saying, his argument that he's making, basically in this, this passage, these few verses, he says, love originates with God. That's where it gets its start, with God the Father. It's made clear and manifest through God the Son, through Jesus. That's where we see it. And it is made perfect, he says, through us. Through you and me. His people, God's love is made perfect in us. And we get a glimpse. And so the last question, are you expecting more? Christmas Day, every day, whatever. When you love, or when you experience the love of another person, Love as God defines it. Do you expect to get a glimpse of him? Are you watching for him? I mean, really, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine any greater mo- motive to love, isn't it? The fact, first of all, that you and I, we have been loved, and Jesus has proven God's love to us, right? With, by coming and, and through his death and resurrection, there, there's no room left for any one of us, if we believe that story, to ever doubt God's love for us. You have been loved. But not just that as a motivation. That when we love, we even get to see God. We get a glimpse of the God who came to live with us. The God who made us at work within us. Watch for it. Expect it. Expect him. Expect to see him. Look for him. In, in those moments, whatever, whatever that looks like, even, even this week as you go, go through the, whatever traditions or whatever difficulties you may face, 
expect him in those moments. And this is my, this is my prayer for my family this year. It's my prayer for every one of us. Um, whether, whether you have been following Jesus for a really long time or are brand new to this thing, or even if you're here because somebody just simply dragged you here, it's my prayer for us. Christmas redefines love. It's my hope that we'd encounter him. That, that we would encounter love, God's love through his son, and that in being love, we would boldly and gladly give ourselves away to everyone, anyone. That we would give ourselves away because we have been loved and there's nothing that we lack knowing that the God who made us loves us and that we get a glimpse. A glimpse of the God who 2,000 years ago came to live with us. That's Christmas. Let's pray together. God, I am so amazed by your unending love. And God, I pray that we would never get tired of it, never get tired of talking about it, singing about it, celebrating it together, to know that even though I don't deserve it, God, I, I know that I don't deserve it. You are holy and righteous. You are my creator, and I ignore you most of my life. And yet you still pursue me. And that through Jesus, you've made a way for me to know you and to love you. God, I pray that we'd never get bored by Christmas. God, I pray that each of us here, God, I know some, some of us here are, are hurting deeply, um, frustrated or distracted, um, or some just completely um, unbelieving, right, to the things that, that you teach, and we, we understand that. But Lord, I pray that even in this moment, you would Show us your love. That you would help us to experience that in ways that we can't even articulate to know deep down that we are your beloved. And as a result, that this love would overflow. So God, I pray for, for those who are feeling lonely, Lord, I pray that there'd be a way to express this love. For those who are in broken or breaking relationships, God, I pray for reconciliation. God, I pray that you would do this work of love in us and through us. We trust you for that, Lord Jesus. We're so glad you came. We pray it in your name. Amen.